and some that unfortunately disappeared. This book project started in 1961, took a year to complete, and the first edition sold two million copies in nine languages. It was printed in West Germany, bound in Holland, planned and designed in New York. And uh, recently it has been released as a fifth edition, but only God and Terry Ballinger know how many printings and reprintings exist. Uh, can we have the lights out and the uh, slides, please? Yep. Yeah. I'll be showing a lot of slides. They'll be going, it'll almost be a movie, I hope. So uh, we'll get through that uh, quite easily. Which is the uh, start? Both focus? This is just to get started and see whether everything is in focus. The concept for the history of art actually started with a number of books that Jansen was writing for Harry and Abrams. Uh, one was A Story of Painting for Young People, which had great success, but it was really a, a, a book that spoke only of painting. And uh, a little later, he cooked up an idea for a book called The Key Monuments of the History of Art. Now, this was a collection. Uh, 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 these are some of the uh, uh, pages of text. Very few, only labels, uh, uh, an index for the pictures, and a part title. But basically, The Key Monuments of the History of Art was a collection of black and white images that Jansen collected over a number of years that were very, very special and unique. And he put this book together in order to compete with what was then uh, uh, sold to students of art history, the dollar art packet or the university prints, where you simply bought a collection of prints that you needed in class. What Jansen did with this book was to simply make this, uh, it's over a thousand pages of pure black and white illustration covering everything that he was concerned about in the history of art. This will give you some sense of what the book was like. It sold for about $10 uh, when it was originally uh, printed. Uh, Jansen then uh, started writing a text to accompany these pictures, and this became the history of art. And for a long time, as we were pursuing the project, we uh, used to call the key monuments of the history of art simply the key monuments of the history of art with text. We simply added a text and we had the history of art. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have been the designer of a jacket for Art Through the Ages, uh, published by Harcourt Brace, and this was the book that was in great use uh, at the time, uh, written by Helen Gardner. And I designed the, uh, the jacket when the book was transformed from a text edition sold only to the college market, and then it entered the trade book market and was sold as a book uh, in the normal uh, uh, bookstore. 
And this was the uh, jacket that uh, uh, wrapped that particular uh, uh, book. When I started the History of Art project, the first notion was, let's see what the jacket could look like if we designed it as a history of our jacket. And it was simply an exercise to see whether it would be different enough uh, and uh, possibly uh, used. But uh, that uh, w was vetoed. And we simply made a very simple jacket on a white background with a silhouetted Roman sculpture. And it was in more or less the theme of all of the Abrams book jackets at that time, mostly white backgrounds. And it was a very interesting notion because it meant that the books always stood out in the bookstore. Unfortunately, with the third, fourth, and fifth edition, they used jackets that simply camouflage themselves in the bookstore. You can't, you can't see it. But the white background, the jacket, was very, very successful. And for many years was, the, was a, a, an Abrams a trademark. Now, this is the comparison of the uh, size of the, of the two books, The Art Through the Ages and The History of Art. History of Art was 8 and 3 quarters by 11 and a half, a very hefty book that weighed about 5 pounds when completed. It was uh, printed on a vellum paper with gravure for the illustrations in black and white, letterpress text set in monotype Times Roman, and uh, the color was letterpress wrapped around 16-page signatures or inserted. We'll go into that in a moment. But this is a comparison of the two books with opening spreads. And you can see that the art through the ages was printed on a glossy paper because it was printed with letterpress plates. And the only way in which you could get good tonal definition was to print on a very, very smooth paper. And uh, that uh, the glossy paper was a nuisance for reading. It made it very uh, much more difficult to read. So that, too, was a very interesting uh, comparison between the two books. This is the uh, opening um, title page spread. The uh, history of art for Prentice Hall was exactly the same. No difference except in the uh, uh, color used on the uh, title page. And the only thing that was added was the Prentice Hall uh, imprint. It was exactly the same book in the early printings. I'll just run through some of the pages of the basic original design. A very simple format, very straightforward. Uh, all the typography was very beautifully keyed and related one to the other so that there was almost a Hollywood billing of the uh, uh, typographic items that were used in the, in the book. Uh, here you can see a very simple copyright page. Nothing on it to indicate that it's the first, second, or third printing. No clue at all. It simply had the editor's name, the designer's name, a Library of Congress catalog card number, and a note that said it was all rights reserved. Now this is very, uh, this is fascinating. The history of art was not copyrighted, was never copyrighted until the third edition. And the reason for that was you could not copyright American authorship of a certain quantity produced overseas. That was the copyright law at that time. It has since changed. And if you take a look at the copyright notice 
starting, I think it's the uh, fourth edition, third or fourth edition, you suddenly see a copyright, see in a circle to protect the, um, uh, the book. Abrams didn't care. His notion was that nobody was going to duplicate it because they couldn't duplicate the quality of the images for the price. The book at that time was selling about ten, for about $10 as a textbook, and there wasn't a a, a counter, uh, there wasn't any way in which a printer could duplicate, copy, counterfeit, or whatever, and still come out with the material that would be needed by the uh, purchaser. And that was a very, very good black and white and color uh, reproduction. Here is the uh, copyright notice of the first printing, perhaps the second printing, perhaps the third printing, perhaps the fourth printing. It's only later that this begins to appear on the copyright page. Now, the notion uh, uh, that Abrams had was interesting. Why indicate that you corrected another printing with certain changes uh, and so on? Nobody would want to buy the stale book. So for three or four printings, there was no indication at all as to what the printing uh, was. It was only later when uh, we began to accumulate an enormous list of printings and a second uh, a revised and enlarged edition and uh, 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 enlarged uh, printing and then a second edition that he realized that this was money in the bank if he could indicate all of this on the copyright notice. It suddenly gave the book a monumentality. It became a classic and it was all revealed in this wonderful list of printings uh, from one year to another. Terry probably knows more about this area of the history than I do. My involvement stopped with the first edition. Uh, the end of the uh, copyright uh, uh, contents page, a preface and, a, and an uh, acknowledgments, a note about the captions on the, le um, on the left, and then the introduction begins. Very straightforward, a very crisp typographic page. And then the text and illustrations begin to um, uh, uh, dovetail. No illustration is more than one page or a little bit more, maybe two pages away from its reference. We tried very, very hard in designing the book to make sure that you didn't have to wander too far afield in the text in order to relate to the uh, black and white uh, il illustrations. We also devised a running foot, which was generally not used at, at that time. We found it a very interesting device because it kept, it was kept down low on the page. It didn't interfere with illustration placement. And uh, nevertheless, it was still uh, noticeable and you could find your way through the book, through the various sections, through the pages, and so on. And what's interesting is that after the success of History of Art at the beginning, other publishers attempted to create other History of Art books. And the one thing that they started to imitate first was the running foot. The quality didn't matter, but they felt that if they could imitate that part, then, you know, it, it was a good product. Some more pages of the introduction. Part one, uh, we did not waste any paper in this book of 572 pages. Uh, the part title was simply incorporated in the basic page design. So we started immediately with a part, 
and then a chapter title and uh, so on into the, uh, into the text. What is also interesting in this particular project, and we tried very hard because it was a, type of, uh, a, a design uh, device, was to end every chapter to the exact amount of space allowed. Every chapter in the original first edition of the Janssen book ends full to the last line, with the exception of two chapters, the introduction and the postscript where we didn't have enough illustration material to affect a stretching or pulling in order to maneuver the, uh, the text. But this is the look of chapter endings. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. This is the end of the introduction. We simply couldn't stretch the few illustrations in order to plug up the about a dozen lines of uh, space. And this is the end of the book, the postscript, which deals with uh, Art of the Far East, or the meeting of East and West. And uh, that is all you've got in the book uh, as blank space. In a sense, it was a um, disadvantage to the student. There was no room to scribble. When they scribbled, they scribbled on the text or on the, in the margins and so on. And uh, our biggest complaint that we had at the beginning was that the paper uh, didn't permit uh, keeping notes in the book. The bled, uh, the felt pens, bled into the uh, paper, and they re uh, requested, could we not uh, improve the uh, paper so that they could you know, make their notes tidy and not have it show up on the back side of the uh, uh, page. Here again, a chapter ending, and another. Uh, and uh, the book concludes with a um, lengthy bibliography and an index, and I mentioned that both of them were legible. The later editions, if you take a look at the uh, uh, later editions, you'll find that the publisher has resorted to six-point type for one of the indexes, a four-column index. It's impossible to read. So one of the things that uh, we're very proud of in designing the original first edition was that it was done with a reader in mind. They were able to read it, it was comfortable, and uh, you didn't need a magnifying glass to, to pick up any of the uh, data. And also, since it was printed in monotype, printed from monotype type in letterpress, that letter image was pushed into the paper with great blackness. It wasn't, uh, as we find in the later editions, rubber stamping an offset of the type. Another book that we produced soon after the history of art was History of Far Eastern Art. And it has a very interesting connection to the history of art. When Jansen was writing the book, he was writing and writing and would never let go. We decided to start printing, producing the book while he was still at the tail end of the book and writing. And you'll almost get a sense of, as you go through the book, as you get to the end, that when he gets to the last chapter, on the meeting of East and West, where he's bringing in Oriental art. The class bell rings, class is dismissed, the book is done. So there are only about a dozen pages in this enormous book that touches upon the art of the other part of the globe. And this uh, history of Far Eastern art, which came out a little later, done almost in the same way, 
that is same size book and the series and so on is almost as though it were a continuation of the history of art. And as I look uh, at this all now with the new editions, the, uh, re uh, the uh, redoing in the later editions by the son of Jansen, who became the, uh, an additional author, uh, he worked with his father and then his father died and he took over the revision of the later books. He totally eliminates the art of the Far East. It's completely washed out. And my notion is that we should now call the book a history of Western art and make the Sherman Lee Far Eastern art book volume two. That's really the way it ought to go. Uh, this will uh, also show you what the, uh, the format was of the Far Eastern art book. We were dealing with the same book size, printing and gravure as well. Uh, we printed the text in offset, but this was a totally different design problem much more open, pictures that bled, part title page that was decorative and a page unto itself, a very open design, pictures that bled, very architectural. We, we tried to take advantage of things lining up, full page bleed pictures. And this uh, began a continuation of the series of the history of art. There was another book that followed this, History of Modern Art, and it, uh, that's the group that touches base with just about everything that you need to know about art uh, today. This is the way we handled the color, totally different from the uh, uh, Janssen book. Now, when we got started on the Janssen book, we knew that the author was not completed in writing, but we had to set up a schedule, so the whole schedule was set up on the basis of pages on press. We were going to produce 16 pages, complete it, and when everything was ready, that was finished, we'd march on to the next 16 pages. So we conceived this book as broken up into 16-page segments. Everything in the text and pictures that related to the 16 pages was then a, a finished uh, product. And this was the uh, schedule th that was uh, set up, the dates and so on, and you'll notice on top, it, we speak of illustration sets, 75,000 copies of the first printing, and the English text imprint was 50,000 copies. What, uh, uh, what made the success of the uh, Janssen book possible was the fact that we printed the illustration material separately could print the most expensive part of the production for everybody participating in the co-op publishing venture. All the foreign publishers got exactly the same gravure illustrations and color illustrations. Then they purchased the sheets that they needed to imprint their text in their language so that the quantity of illustration sets, in this case 75,000, we took 50,000 for English and there was 25,000 reserved for the other languages. As we revised the schedule, that was up to 90,000 as everybody uh, uh, sort of got on the bandwagon. This is a worksheet that uh, was uh, our Bible indicating the scheduling, how the pieces were to dovetail, the editorial work the ca uh, on the text, the, the captions, the uh, a collection of photographs, the writing of the captions for the photographs, uh, 
the, the copy editing, everything had to be dovetailed, everything was moving on a different track, controlled by a different collection of people. And this was a worksheet that we, we lived with. I brought some of this material in that's on display on the, in the back, so you can see the, the uh, working material that we used at that time to uh, design the book. If we had known that the computer was going to be available, this would have been a cinch to do. We scaled the laborious way by drawing a diagonal through a picture in order to achieve a, a size. Today on the computer, it's just a matter of seconds and you've got the answer. If you set up a format on the computer, you pour the text in, you don't like it, you change the specs, two seconds later you have a different uh, uh, line count and so on. We sweated over every aspect of the book. We made character counts, we made caption line counts, we made picture counts. This is a detail. Uh, every page is on the left, and then every chapter and what's related to the chapter uh, is, is uh, uh, keyed. Now, Jansen was really a great author and a great technician. He knew how books were made. He wrote uh, uh, literally to fit rough layouts that he conceived, and we used this as our point of departure. We supplied him with blue-lined layout sheets upon which he scribbled the approximation of the picture size, and then he knew about how many lines would be left for text and for caption. Uh, later, uh, we found that this was not working. He was writing far too much than we had allowed for, so we changed the, the blue line. We added more lines. We, we changed the look of the uh, typographic page. We went to a smaller type size and much uh, less uh, letting. But this gave us the head start, uh, and he was very, very cooperative. He laid out uh, the, uh, the color, which was printed separately. It was printed uh, letterpress on glossy paper that was cut uh, at 16 pages at a time. It was cut into four-page signatures that were either wrapped around 16 pages or inserted. And if it was wrapped around 16 pages, a color, sh a color page would show up every 16 pages. Uh, we played a trick on the, on the public, and that is we made sure that the color paper that we printed on, the white paper, was heavier than the text paper. So that if you flip through the book, you were being fed color, sheet, color pages like a card shark would feed you, you know, the key card. And uh, you get the impression in going through the book that there's more color than there really uh, is. There are only pa uh, 80 uh, pages of color, but it seems like much more. However, the color is the undoing of the first edition. This was the only practical way in which we could introduce color and spread it through the book. But since the 80 color plates were on a different uh, uh, chronological timetable, we couldn't duft we had to spread them evenly through the book so that the color plates could not appear where they should and this is the the big criticism of the of the Jansen uh, uh, early editions in the uh, in the second uh, no I, I I'm sorry in the third edition the color was then put together as eight page signatures so that you had a collection of color plates and you could then relate that a little better to the text uh, uh, areas, but in the original edition, it was a scattered relationship, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. 
Uh, this is his manuscript, heavily edited. Uh, Jansen uh, uh, came from Germany, and a lot of German tech uh, writing mannerisms, and it was all cleaned up by the, uh, author, uh, by the editors. And as you look at some of these manuscript pages, you really wonder, did Jansen write the book? But this was the material that we had to copycast. We had to count characters in order to uh, know exactly how long the manuscript was going to run in order to become certain, uh, a, a certain amount of uh, text that would be uh, printed. A very, very difficult editing uh, job. But they had a fabulous editor at Abrams at that time who um, uh, sat on, on, on this. And it was important that the editor was sympathetic to Jansen's uh, 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 thinking so that they could work together. And even at that, there was a little bit of ego bouncing back and forth as they fought each other <laughs> on, uh, I'll show you some notes, uh, flags that were added to galleys uh, sort of uh, uh, quizzing the author as he write and, and so on. A real tug of, tug of war between editor and uh, author. These are the galleys. Uh, the manuscript was sent. Uh, 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 it was sent to Germany for, for, uh, for setting in monotype Times Roman. Uh, we put uh, the editors at that time put flags on the galleys, and we used to get these flags, these yellow, uh, th these pink uh, uh, slips or yellow slips. It didn't matter. Manufactured for us. And in fact, all the publishers at that time were using them. They were little slips with a gummed edge, and you'd lick it, stick it at the back of the galley, write your note, and it would stay. This stuff over 35 years old, is still stuck to the galleys. Today, everybody's using these yellow postums, and they get lost from one desk uh, to another, but this is the way life is uh, uh, today. Uh, one thing that you'll notice on the galleys are little uh, designations. You'll see the... I should use this. Uh, you see the PE? PE, that designates a printer's error. There are three uh, ways in which a, uh, uh, mistakes are noted on galleys. One is PE, which is a printer's error, and if, it's the, uh, and if it's the printer's error, he pays for it, and we keep tabs uh, on this. If it's an author's alteration or an AA, the author will sometimes pay for it depending upon what is contractual arrangement is with a publisher. And uh, the third one would be a DE, which is a designer's error. God help the designer. Uh, but uh, that's what these uh, were. And unfortunately for the German typesetter, the editor, Patricia Egan, P.E., signed all of the galleys. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what happened. At the beginning, the the typesetter said, what's going on here? This is good typesetting. How dare you call it, you know, a printer's error? Well, eventually she signed the, uh, in the corner of the galley, Pat, and everybody was happy. But you'll notice something else at the bottom of every galley, whether it was caption or text. Uh, you see words that are 
shown for hyphenation. And that was simply to beat the typesetter to the, to the punch. If we didn't explain it this way, and for certain words that we knew he would have to hyphenate when he uh, cor made the uh, uh, correction, nine times out of ten he would hyphenate it badly, even though we gave him English dictionaries to use. So in order to forestall that, <coughs> we p the editors put these notes down on the lower uh, parts of the galleys in order to um, remind them uh, how it should be uh, hyphenated. This is a little paste-up of the caption that was to be set with my notes in red, just a few lines, and then a whole column of instruction in German to explain what I did. <laughs> uh, here you can see that sheet again. But this is the caption manuscript. And we uh, cast off the caption manuscript for the exact number of lines. We explained to the printer precisely where the line was to break so that at the time the manuscript was worked on, we knew precisely how many lines each caption would take. And we kept a list of this in order to uh, later in laying out the, the book page, and we didn't have the captions yet returned, we knew exactly how much space to allot on that page. So that was a very, very important uh, consideration. Uh, here you have one of our note sheets indicating that picture 119.3. These were early, uh, uh, picture 119, for instance, uh, three lines. You see, 122 was two lines. 177 was three lines. Uh, caption, uh, 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 galley of captions, and also a galley of text. And you can see that there's a lot of, a lot of uh, 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 interchange between the editors and the uh, copy editor and, and, and the author. Uh, I'm using this to demonstrate, although this is for the uh, Far Eastern Art Book, but this is a character count that we would normally do on a book. We'd analyze the manuscript, figure out in what part and uh, what chapter the, the number of keystrokes, not words, but keystrokes, characters. Uh, part one, chapter one was 32,000, uh, and uh, based upon a certain type size, it would be 5.8 pages so that if we added all of this up in our original calculations, we could say that all of the text in the book would come to, uh, in this case, 208 pages, add black and white illustrations, add color. We had some notion before we actually started to set type as to how many pages the book would be. This was vital because the publisher had to assign a budget. He had to... Um, uh, deal with printers to get on their calendar that a book of so many pages would be produced uh, at, a, at a certain time. So this, this kind of worksheet was always done on a book, whether it was simple or complex. With a computer today, all of this is uh, just a waste of time. It's so much easier now to just pour the, the floppy disk into the computer specs, and uh, lo and behold, you get your answers instantly. 
This is a picture count. Uh, uh, a was uh, a large picture, AB a slightly smaller, uh, B, BC, sort of a descending scale. And in the, uh, uh, this was a way in which we could then figure out how many, how many pictures we had to deal with, how much space it would occupy. Uh, a would be, let's say, three quarters of a page, B, uh, AB might be half a page, and so on. So that in advance, we knew exactly how many pages the picture material added to the totality of the, um, of the book. Uh, this is a log of pictures going back and forth uh, released on April of, of 14th, 61. Uh, the black and whites or the stats were returned on this date. We had to keep a running uh, calendar so that we knew exactly when things left, when they were returned, whether they were okay in terms of size, quality, and so on. And this was a similar list that dealt with the history of art color plates, only in this case, uh, we're assigning, we're changing the, the sequence numbers. At the beginning, we had a set of consecutive numbers that we uh, uh, sort of changed as the author and the editors got together. They changed the position of certain color plates so that what might have been, uh, let's say, 9 was later 15. And this was one way in which we could keep tabs on that. This is an early, uh, uh, the earliest layout, the step where we started to get galleys and we pasted down photostats to size, indicated the number of lines a, a caption would have, and laid out the entire book as 16-page signatures. Our next step was to get back text page proofs, locking up the text in the exact position as shown on that previous layout, where it was simply scotch taped down. We didn't, didn't even use rubber cement. We scotch taped it into position. And this was the text portion of the printing of the, uh, of the book. The images that also went out with a layout were transformed into gravure images. And this is a blueprint of the gravure page layout. Everything in position with guidelines scribed showing the dimension of the page. And this was our guide so that when we put the text and the uh, blueprint together, we knew that everything would fit. Or if it didn't, we knew how to make the adjustment. In other words, these text proofs, we simply cut windows where the illustration was so that we didn't disturb the position of the, of the type. And this was our uh, assembled page layout of monotype and gravure uh, illustration. At a certain point, we and, and, and you, this happens all the time, you run out of time in dealing with corrections. You've released the signature with the text and the illustration, and there are more corrections to be made. So we would cable. These were facsimile. Uh, at that time, we had a cable machine where you simply put this telegram on the machine, and it rotated, 
and a beam of light would, would pick it up, and that beam of light would, would also be happening at the type center in Germany. And, uh, well, actually, we sent this to, to the uh, uh, Dutch office, and they sent it on to the um, German typesetter. But this was the way in which we dealt with corrections in our later stages. Here, if we had only dreamed of the fax ma machine. Now, uh, I just want to very quickly review printing techniques. There are three uh, uh, techniques that we're concerned about, uh, letterpress, offset, and gravure. In letterpress, we have a relief printing surface, whether it's type or a metal plate. In offset, we print uh, off the planographic surface of the plate by playing with the, uh, the uh, uh, mixing of, or, or non-mixing of ink and, uh, and water, grease and water. But what's important is that the screen in both letterpress and offset is exactly the same. The way in which you break down your, your uh, black and white tonalities into gray images is done through uh, breaking it up into dots of varying sizes. Uh, the difference between letterpress and offset is that in letterpress you're pushing ink hard into the paper, so you can push a lot of ink. In offset, you're printing literally from a blanket that is offset to the sheet of paper. You're rubber stamping so that you can't really build up a lot of ink density in offset printing, with, which is uh, one of its disadvantages. You can print beautifully and sharp on various kinds of paper, but there's no strength to it. Uh, it's similar to, if, if you take a rubber stamp and you pound it 60 times on the ink pad, it's no darker when you print with it than if you had done it twice. So that's, that's the problem with offset. The technique that we used for the black and white illustrations was gravure. And this was a technique where you printed with ink that was uh, held in wells below the surface of the plate. It's an etching, in a sense, an intaglio uh, process. But the screen in gravure is totally different. It's a square set of, uh, it's a, uh, a grid of, of squares. The only difference is that a, a one square might be darker or lighter, and that would depend upon the depth of the well containing the, the ink. So here is your relief or letterpress. This is offset where you're printing from a metal plate onto a rubber blanket, and the rubber blanket is then printing or is offset to the sheet of paper. But this is gravure, and we, uh, the, the uh, engraver actually etches a depth into the plate in order to contain the ink. Then the, the, ink, uh, the, the etched cylinder, it's a large copper cylinder, which has been etched. It's dipped in a trough of ink, and the ink is wiped off with what, was, uh, what is called a doctor blade, and then the paper under pressure is pushed into the gravure, onto the gravure cylinder, and the wells of ink are sucked up onto the uh, uh, paper. Here you can see the, 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 the wells uh, of various uh, uh, depths and the doctor blade uh, scraping the, uh, the ink. 
It's exactly the same technique that Rembrandt used in, doing, in printing his etchings, where he filled the plate with ink, rubbed the ink into the, into the etched lines, then wiped it off with a cloth, and then under pressure in a press, pulled the ink out of the, uh, out of the, surf, uh, the understructure of the uh, uh, plate. Now, this gravure has enormous capability in, uh, in rich, dense, black, beautiful tonal grays. It, it captures tone uh, beautifully. Now, uh, here is an illustration of the uh, Milan Cathedral. And you see the section here? This is what it looks like in gravure, uh, not in, in, in letterpress or offset, in that type of uh, uh, sized dot. Each dot is the same blackness, either smaller or darker. But this is what that same section looks like in gravure. You can see how much more ink it carries, how much denser, how much blacker. And this is the great charm of gravure printing, which unfortunately has just about disappeared everywhere. Here I'm comparing an offset uh, image uh, on the left. This is from the Key Monuments, which was printed in offset, and the same image printed in the Janssen book in, in gravure. You can see the difference in the ink density. And uh, again, comparing it with, uh, this is a letterpress image which uh, on the left, which has to be printed on a glossy paper in order to achieve a rich, sharp, dark uh, uh, tone, again compared with the, with the Janssen. This is the monotype Times Roman set one character at a time on, an, on the monotype machine, which meant that corrections uh, could be dealt with a lot easier than if we were on the linotype machine, where the whole line would have to be restruck in order to contain a, uh, uh, fix a uh, correction. Here you would simply pluck out one sort and exchange it. This is what letterpress type looks like, uh, and this is from the Janssen book, imprinted on the, on the paper. It's very sharp, it's very dense, very legible. This is what it looks like in gravure. And I point, uh, show you this because in subsequent printings of the Janssen, the type was no longer letterpress. In the second or third printing, it was decided to save money. So we made offset printing plates of the reproduction proofs of the letterpress type. And we printed the text in offset. And it looked reasonably well because it was picking up the image of the letterpress. The squash was already built in. At a certain point, the publisher decided to uh, uh, decided to to put the text on the same cylinder as the black and white illustration because he was now guaranteed that he could now. Uh, he had enough sales of the book so that he could devote a set of solid core cylinders just to one language. So the type was printed in gravure. It's less good 
but it's one way you begin to distinguish the various editions. The first printing, letterpress type. The second, letterpress type. I think the third is offset. And then you, you start running along, and it becomes reviewer printing for both illustration and, uh, and text. And when we get into the third edition, which is printed in Japan, and there's also doing gravure printing, you see a marked difference in the quality of the gravure. The German printing was extraordinarily good. The Japanese, 25 years ago, was not good. They were, again, imitating what somebody else had, had prepared. In the years since, of course, ja Japan has come a long way. They're now really the finest printers in the world. But in effect, they took their training from books like The History of Art, which was produced in Japan. As a matter of fact, uh, we literally trained the Japanese printers with the art books. At a certain point, Abrams took the printing away from Holland, Germany, France, and started to do it in Japan, started a Japanese office. And in a sense, we then trained the, the large producers of books to achieve quality. But this is a, an indication of the German uh, gravure printing. I just want to run quickly through uh, color uh, printing. We break up color plates into four basic printing colors. We do it by filter. When they overlap one over the other, we pick up different color nuances. If we break up the screen, we achieve all colors of the rainbow. We use a screen like so for letterpress color and offset color. And each of the four colors are printed at a different angle so that when they print one over the other, the color kind of pokes through in order to uh, uh, achieve a color. If they printed at the same angle and they printed an exact register, which occasionally happens, you would see nothing but black dots. So that's the reason for the change of angle. This is what it looks like printing one over the other. Now, we printed the uh, pages as 16-page signatures. This shows you both sides of the uh, page. We printed the gravure, we printed the color, the black and white, the text on a small sheet so that we had much better control of the printing uh, quality. It also meant that we produced 16-page signatures, which made it better for binding purposes. You could produce a much tighter binding uh, because of that. Now, this is what I meant by wraps and inserts. The black represents the 16-page black text signature, and this is the color wrap. And then it wraps again. And then uh, this is an insert, which is inserted. And then when it's sewn, the color shows up every 16 or so uh, pages. Uh, the next... Uh, Carousel, please. Uh, this is a worksheet that we use in order to establish our page, uh, uh, our pagination, where we uh, began to wrap or insert uh, uh, pages. 
uh, color plate 4142 was 337-338. And this is the, the way the book was pieced together before binding. Color wraps around 16, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes you were very fortunate in the juxtaposition of the color plates. They belonged in the right uh, section and faced one another as over here, but not always. And this was the, the big problem. And this was the simple jacket of the Janssen first printing. This was the jacket for the Prentice Hall edition. We had to establish a legal difference between the two books, the trade book and the college book, in order to charge less for the textbook, which had a different discount schedule than the trade book. And the way we did it was to make the jacket a little cheaper and also a difference on the title page. On the Abrams edition, the history of our title on the title page was printed in a separate gray color. On the Prentice Hall edition, it was printed as a black halftone. Exactly the same books, and those are the only differences. Japanese edition, different, obviously a different jacket. Uh, Finnish, I think, uh, and Swedish. They used the same sheets. They simply imprinted their languages. And I brought two copies. Uh, that is, uh, I brought a Japanese edition and a, I think, a Swedish edition that you can see on the, uh, amongst the uh, books. And they simply dropped in their language as they needed it. Uh, this was the cartouche uh, artwork that I devised for the binding. The Japanese picked it up for their edition, but not so for the other foreign uh, printings. Japanese title page, Swedish. And they were all buying sheets without text. They were buying illustration sets. And this is, uh, I think, the Swedish uh, edition and the Japanese. The Japanese f from, uh, uh, felt cheated because they had to accept the way we run pages from left to right. And uh, they, of course, do it backwards. But in the case of history of art, they had to accept our, uh, our scheme. And all of them had to rewrite their text after translation in order, in order to fit the exact space. The second edition, still a trademark white backgrounded jacket. But they started to play games. I, I was no longer there. Uh, ends of chapters. It's almost like a scrapbook. It's not really a tight book design. Lots of room to scribble notes. Uh, this is the gravure in the first printing. And what I want you to see is the density here. Well, this is the Japanese gravure printing. 
totally different in quality. Let's see, I have detailed. Uh, this is the, uh, the original German printing. See here? Totally different. They simply didn't get enough dots. And this is their gravure printing of the, of the text, much cruder. Oh, no, I'm sorry, uh, let me just back up. This is the original German gravure printing. This is the Japanese. Big difference in color from one edition to another. Sometimes you wonder which one was right. Uh, was the painting clean, or did they simply have a... Well, it speaks for itself. The binding of the second edition, uh, where they dropped the notion of the cartouche. Also, the uh, type was changed. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, no, it, this is still the second, second edition. And I, I'm just trying to remember all of the editions now. Uh, this is the first edition. We were very careful in the way we dealt with our subheads, the amount of space preceding and following, so that you could relate, relate it properly typographically. This is the way it was done in the second edition, dead center. <coughs> Very dull. Uh, this is the index of the first edition on the left, a three-column index. The uh, index, I think, starting with the uh, second edition, became a four-column index. Very, very tiny uh, type. And also, if you laid the page over its text page, you laid the index over the text, they never followed the same format for the index. They had much more room on top. They didn't use it. And I find that this is just careless design. Nobody sat on anybody. They just slapped it, to, literally slapped it together. This is the gravure of the original German. Same image in Japan. Now, the big change that takes place is that gravure is dumped. It disappears. What happens is that the great concentration now is on printing everything in offset, color as well as black and white. But the only way in which you can achieve black and white density in offset is to print with two plates, a black plate and a supporting plate, sometimes a, a, a gray or another color. And this is what the screen looks like in duotone. And all of the editions are printed in duotone for the black illustrations once the gravure uh, is dropped. Uh, this, I'm, I'm using a symbol now to remind me. This is the beginning, of, this is the third edition. I find even more slapdash in the way the spaces have been uh, controlled. End of a chapter. Another ending. Uh, the first edition, gravure and caption. Uh, a cap and small cap for the artist. Uh, 
uh, uh, lowercase italic for the title, everything related properly in what I call Hollywood billing, what was important and less important and, and so on, was dealt with typographically. This is the caption of the um, second edition. Uh, second, yeah. A much thinner typeface, I think it's primer, printing very sharp and very, from my point of view, quite illegible and uh, attempting the same scheme with a caption except the artist's name is now full caps. It would have been much better to have had it cap and small cap so that it would relate better. Uh, handling of the subheads, too tight to the text that follows. A part title page, a chapter title. I just want to give you a sense of what the other editions are like. Another chapter. And you can see, again, the, the subheads very tight to the text. Excess space between illustration and text. Another chapter. Uh, uh, this is in the fourth uh, edition. Jensen would never let us get away with excess uh, space in the first printing. <laughs> you can see again down at the lower column. And this is the handling of the caption in, in the uh, fourth edition. Full caps, lining figures for the, for the uh, plate number, and then uh, a fake small cap in italic for the, for the title. And it just doesn't look right, doesn't read right. Here you can see it again, how insignificant the title is in relation to the uh, uh, sculptor's uh, name. Again, the spacing of subheads in the uh, fourth edition, occasionally like this and occasionally like that. And there's no reason for it. There was plenty of space to maneuver. and. Editors are very cooperative. If they have to cut a line, they'll help you in order to achieve a better layout. They'll add a word, or, or you can squeeze type. Uh, or there are all kinds of tricks that you can play. You can take a, a line that's long and kick over another word in order to achieve a line. They did none of this in the later editions. I, I find it uh, very disappointing. And this is the fifth edition, which is as far as uh, even Terry can go in collecting. But look. Take a look uh, at the, the copyright notice. Dead center for this part, and then off-centered here. There's no reason for it. The rest of the book is centered. And then little postage stamp color plates as a gimmick for uh, uh, picking up the various uh, titles. Used again on the opening pages of uh, chapters. But notice now a running foot, very tiny, and dead center. Headings, normally you would never do this. You would align the top of this subhead with the uh, adjoining column. It would never poke up uh, by itself.
again, a handling of subheads, sometimes packed and sometimes lots of space. The one big benefit, though, in the later editions is that you're printing full color throughout. You're printing on a five-color press, two colors for the black images, black and a gray for duotone, and then full color for the color. And in this instance, all the color falls exactly where it ought to. This is at least some of the uh, gains in the later editions. There are other things that happen in the later editions. Uh, uh, the, uh, anything relating to Japanese, Indian, uh, Chinese uh, art has been eliminated with a complaint that, there, uh, as stated by Anthony Jansen in his forward, simply no space. Yet, in the fifth edition, an enormous amount of space is given to selected readings, which really isn't necessary. You could pick that up by going to, a, to, to the original book, but it would have made much better sense to have eliminated that and added more material that would at least give a greater scope to the history of art. It would include the Far East. Again, the, um, uh, the spacing and then the very, very tiny uh, running foot. And this is a look at the uh, uh, caption. Using uh, what I think are fake small caps done on the computer for the word Masaccio, and you can see how it, how it relates badly to the lining figures, that is the full-size uh, figures for the sizes and for the um, caption number. It's, it's really not a good way of handling a, um, a caption. You can see it again here at the bottom of the page. And uh, the early Renaissance in Italy, the, the uh, bottom of the page is, uh, as a running foot, is confused with the, with the caption. Now, since all of you are book-collecting mavens, I'm going to tell you a secret so that you can identify the first printing of the first edition of Janssen. We made one mistake. One of our plates was turned upside down by the printer, but in effect, we're responsible because we never caught it. We had proofs. We didn't see it. And it's this image on the right of the windows. The shadows are upside down. Uh, you can see it here better. See the shadow? The picture was turned upside down by the, by the printer. It was corrected in the second edition. And this is how you can tell the first of the first. So. Uh, you know, if you're book collecting, this is the great secret that um, will steer you to the right uh, volume. And that's the end of the story.